Billboard. I'm Brittany. And I'm Joseph. And we'd like you to set sail with us on a voyage through the top Billboard albums of the 90s. In this podcast, we review the albums that reached number one on the Billboard charts from the 90s, which we define as 1992 to 2001, roughly from Clinton or Nirvana to 9-11, which we feel better captures the essence of the 90s as a culture. On this episode, we're talking about Nirvana's Nevermind. All right, Brittany, do you have any history with this album? No. None? No. You know who Nirvana is, I know who Nirvana is. I had no idea what their album name was until (laughs) uh, we did this podcast. Have you ever heard any Nirvana songs off this album? Do you recognize anything? Yeah, yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit, obviously. I heard that. And uh, the, what's that one with the, uh, something in the way? I heard parts of that. Really? Yes. Oh, I figured it'd be uh, lithium or in bloom. Nope, all the rest of them were brand new to me. All right, so you got the you got the full experience here. I was it was just like I was in Seattle in 1992. You might be a mom in Seattle in 1992 hearing it for the first time. Why? Because I watched you when you were listening to this album, I saw the faces you were making. This is why I didn't want to listen to the album together. <laughs> As far as charts and sales goes, this one took a while to reach number one. It was released on September 24th, 1991, debuting at number 144. Had it stayed in the hundreds, we probably wouldn't even be talking about it, and the 90s would have looked and sounded incredibly different. Is that just because Nirvana was not known as a band? Because Destiny's Child, for example, would never debut at 144. They were, they were a buzz band. You... Like, if you were cool, if you listened to college radio or watched MTV late at night, you knew who they were. But they weren't really... They weren't the cultural... Was MTV around by then? Yeah, they... MTV was, like, 1982 when they started playing music videos. Oh. Yeah. Way, yeah. When it it debuted, it was only selling about 300,000 copies a week. Which is a significant amount, but not what... Not enough to get you to number one, especially considering last week, Michael Jackson, the cultural force that he was at this time, he would have just kept, he would have rolled over Nirvana and everybody would have forgotten, forgot about them. Nowadays, this is certified diamond, which means it sold 10 million copies in the U.S. alone. I, we don't really concern ourselves with the rest of the world. Track numero uno. first or do you want me to go first you go first now this is the one that blew the doors open for nirvana it you know it made them what they are today everybody remembers the song everybody knows this song everybody knows the noises that kurt cobain makes with his mouth even if they don't know the lyrics so here's something that was interesting to me is that nowhere in the lyrics to the song does it say that anything smells like teen spirit so how I, I have trouble with songs that are named that have things that have nothing to do with their actual content. And something that I've always wondered is, was Teen Spirit the deodorant around before this song, or did it come up, come about after this song? After. Or before. Okay. So it smells like teen deodorant. Well, a little bit of context for the title, and it kind of reflects Kurt Cobain as a person. He had a friend who said something like, Kurt smells like Teen Spirit, and he thought that meant 
that he was, you know, that he the was spirit important. spirit of a teenager. Yes. yes. He took it, because he didn't know about the deodorant. Ah. And he thought she was giving him this giant compliment. I can see that, based on me listening to this album, how he would think that as a giant compliment. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of, uh, he went to his punk rock 101 classes for sure, as far as uh, authenticity and all that garbage goes. Anyway, I think this song is a really energetic opening. Like, when the, when the riff finally gets going and it's very, very uh, propulsive, but then everything cuts out, and it's just the bass and the drums, and it, it sounds like it slows down, and it just becomes plotting. Um, I think it's one of the only good choruses on the album, but I don't need to hear it as many times as, as it happens. I did like... I Okay, the first thing that I really noticed about anything in this song, listening to it, like trying to listen to it for the first time, was that it does sound like it has a real drummer. Like, there is no way you can confuse that with a drum machine. <laughs> it definitely sounds like a real drummer. This song has a lot of things that I dislike in music, as does the rest of this album, particularly noise guitar. That's what I consider noise guitar. What do you just like hit a chord and distort it oh you mean the you mean the uh guitar solo yeah that whole thing <laughs> was awful um screamo and mumbling the other two things that i just cannot get behind and they are very both extremely present on this album i still like really hate that bridge that the about like a mulatto a mosquito whatever chorus but whatever it is i don't i just okay i think this is a good song to day to start like a debut album like i know they had another album before this but their real like their first true debut album on a label on a bigger label because you know it's like here we are now we're here we're here to muck up the scene we're gonna come up and be ourselves and we're gonna change the game and like i mean that's a it's a good song to start you know to introduce yourself with but also, like, the first time I ever heard this song, and I, every time I hear it again since, I really do think that he is saying words just to be provocative, and I dislike that a lot. He's like, oh, let's use the word mulatto. Let's use libido. Oh, yeah, those are words that are off-limits and are edgy. Ooh, look at me, I'm edgy. I agree with you 100 i'm i'm not a fan of the song people call like this shows up on a couple best punk albums of all time lists i would not consider this song punk it's this is alternative it's not and that's i take offense to it i know you're a big punk <laughs> fan but people call this a punk album but it's like too cute it's too full of itself it you think this get, album is cute no i think i think kirk Cobain's songwriting is like it, it gets too cute like it, it does too much what how 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 <laughs> How do you get that? Because it's like the idea of punk with a whole bunch of other bullshit that makes... And it's a five minute long song. This song could be two and a half minutes and be great. I would agree with that. I don't know if I would think it was great, but it could definitely be two and a half minutes. Next song? Next song is In Bloom. think that if I were a 15 year old boy and full of hormones that I would think that the song was really deep. I felt like this song was not as bad as the first one but it still was not good by any stretch. 
But I, I did think that I could listen to like the track of this with no vocals and it would be okay. The music in the song was not bad. Yes. The drums and bass on this song are pretty awesome, I think. I think this song is explosive. How so? Just as soon as it comes on, I'm like, yes, this is what I want. But then about 90 seconds later, I don't care about it anymore. Hmm. Like after the first chorus. I can see that. Give me the first chorus and then just, it's the same song. It's, there, there's nothing different between, I don't need the rest of the song after the first chorus. Mm -hmm. uh, his, his guitar tone is really grating. And what, not, do you, what do you mean by guitar tone? Like the way his guitar the sounds. The way he's toned, like tuned it or? The... Just the way it sounds, just the general sound of the guitar. It's noisy, but it, you know, there, I think there's ways to have your guitar just make noise and for it to be good. I disagree. But he sounds like a kid who just got his first guitar and first amp and maxed everything out and thinks, oh yes. To 11. This sounds good because it's loud. Right. It's like, there's no, there's nothing beyond that as far as the way he plays guitar. I don't think he's a very good guitar player I think in the first place. I think that's a lot of things on this album is there's really nothing beyond that. <laughs> that's, that is a good thesis statement for this album. Do you have anything else? I have nothing else about that song. Alright, next is Come As You Are. I remember this one, I'm pretty sure. Come as you are. One thing I do have to say about this album is I think it's sequenced very well, at least in the beginning. Like, you have two very abrasive and noisy songs at the beginning. And then you get this one, which is a little bit more. There's a little bit more space to it. I kind of feel like I need this break at this point, even though we're only three songs in. Pseudo ballad almost come in is really important. I don't mind this song actually, but I hate the way. I really, really hate the way he says "soaked" instead of like "soaked." He's just like he really, he really. Where is uh, he from? Seattle. He's from Seattle. I, I think so. That's okay. I don't. I don't know much at all about. Kurt Cobain. I know he's dead. <laughs> well, he was born in Aberdeen. What's that? It's in Washington, so he's definitely from the Pacific. He's definitely from the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. But so far, we have three songs with three very simple bad guitar solos. I was really confused about what this song meant. Very clearly, I'm going to be confused the whole album through about <laughs> what these songs mean. When I was looking it up. Apparently, Kurt Cobain doesn't even know what they mean. He said they're very simple songs. Why are people trying to put meaning into them? That's not there. Which I think is a little bit hilarious because you always hear about how deep his lyrics are and how, saying, how poetic. These songs mean nothing. Right. So from, from, the, from the author's mouth. Like, they mean nothing. Right. Well, he wants people to come as they are. His friends, his enemy is a memory. Like, does he want to shoot them? Like, I keep thinking, and he's just thinking about having a gun at one point, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, history tells us otherwise. Well, it sounds like this is like, if they made a movie about Columbine, this, like, I'm serious, this is what inspired the college, the Columbine killers are going to be sitting around, like, listening to this song over and over, and they're like, yeah, we're going to shoot up our school, and we want everyone to just show up to this party, or to a school, or whatever, just as they are, and... They're about to be my ex-friends, my enemies. 
<laughs> well, they weren't. I, I they like weren't listening. They weren't listening to Nirvana. They were listening to Marilyn Manson, or so the media tells us. It was his fault. Whatever. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say? Nope. All right. Next song is "Breed." I mean, do you want to make the joke or should I? What? I don't care, I don't care, I don't uh, care, I don't care about this song at all. Oh, wow. I hate this song. It was, uh, special. It's so lazy. My first thought on it was that our friend Clint must love this song. Because he is a drummer and he makes those intense drum sounds all the time. He's like... <laughs> That, that's what Clint does. And I immediately when I heard this, I was like, oh, Clint knows this song. He likes this song. For sure. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I don't think it's heavy enough. He, he's a, he's a metalhead, not like a not a grunge dude. Mm. He well, takes I, showers. I tune out. Doesn't do heroin. That we know of. You can't say that. Why? <laughs> I think this is supposed to be a love song. I'm not 100% sure. I don't totally... I. Again, I'm lost trying to make sense of what this song actually means. I mean, do you want to make the joke or should I? I thought you already started off with that. I don't care, I don't care, I don't you care. You said that, you started off with that. What this song means. Oh, wow. We're just <laughs> going in circles here. Well then, uh, I made a note that at 2 minutes and 18 seconds, these noise guitar riffs are not my style. So maybe when you do some editing, you can put it in some riff there or something. I don't even know what they sounded like. I just know that I didn't like them. Yeah. So this was a song where I had to stop listening to the album. I needed a break. <laughs> I walked away from it for two days. Because <laughs> I was like, alright, that's enough for now. And I never decided it was going to be time for more. <laughs> so. Well, I appreciate you sticking it out. You're welcome. Podcast dedication. Podcast host dedication. That's right. All Next for song? you, listeners. Next song is Lithium. I like this one. I think the despondency works really well here. It works better here because this is the first time in the album I feel like they're actually having fun playing music, which is says a lot about the first four songs. But it sound, it's fun. It's And this is the first... Uh, first song on the album where like i actually kind of like the lyrics really yeah that whole like sunday morning is every day for all i care light my candles in a daze because i found god don't know what it means but i'm curious to know what it means no I, this just <laughs> took me back to really bad places like i remember the first time i had an atheist <laughs> it was oh, god it's just rough no i had this like old boyfriend it was awful who was like i think if there's a god He's inside me, and he is me. Not in a Hindu, Buddhist, like, we're all God, we're all one kind of sense. Like, in a, I am a deity. He was also a really self-centered jerk. But... Sounds like a serial killer. Well, uh, this was very, like, that's what I felt like Kirk Cobain was like, Oh yeah, I found God inside myself. I, I usually really like songs about complicated relationships with religion, but I felt that this one was just... Like I said, it's like the first time someone like first decides that they're an atheist and they're like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna he like he's so edgy. He just said he didn't care about the Sabbath, about Sunday morning at all. It could be any day. He doesn't matter. Did God create so us? It's so awesome, man. 
did God create us or did we create God? Right, exactly. Think, think about it. Exactly. Think about it. The guy who was saying the words that you're saying is wearing a Nirvana mm-hmm. t-shirt and listening to this song. Like, that is, seriously. You're it makes me <laughs> want to wear black nail polish. I did think that the chorus of this song was a really, quote-unquote, chorus, was a really good candidate for a video game menu screen. Because it means nothing, and it's very, like, get you jazzed up. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not like the, uh, I don't know if you want to call it the, it's like the other chorus where he's like, I love you, I'm not going to crack that part. What about it? Kurt Cobain, with all of his, like, contradictions, he was, like, one of the first male rock stars to be like, I am a feminist. Really? Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Well, the next song. But the whole part where, uh, he sings like, I love you, I'm not gonna crack, I kill you, I'm not gonna crack. If you're gonna call yourself a feminist, maybe don't write that, I guess? Maybe don't talk about killing people. This is another song, it's the third or fourth song now, he's alluding to killing people. Come As You Are, and this one, and... I don't remember the other one. But yeah, he straight up says, I killed you, or I killed... whatever, I don't, I don't have it written down. Kill or me. killed you, I'm not gonna crack, I don't really think it matters, I just... That, it's, eh, it doesn't pass in 2018. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, uh, that seems to be a theme so far in this podcast, just having heard two albums. True. That music is of its time. <laughs> music is not necessarily timeless. Next song. Think I should get off her first. Think she wants some water. How did Kurt Cobain die? Shotgun. Yeah, if I had to listen to this all the time, I would blow my brains out, too. <laughs> Speaking of things that don't pass in 2018, suicide jokes. It's no, not a it's joke. Not. I'm so serious. <laughs> <laughs> my first thought upon hearing this song was, why can't he just do this? Like, why does Nirvana exist? Why can't we just listen to Kurt Cobain do acoustic songs? And then I started paying attention to the lyrics. So I think this is one of those things where I think he's trying to make a metaphor and it just doesn't get there. He, he just doesn't... I think he's talking about a bird and meaning a girl or another person, but I don't know because it's, it's not good enough to mass muster. It doesn't connect in every place that it should. And if you're going to sustain a metaphor throughout an entire song, sustain a metaphor throughout the entire song, don't go... don't have things that don't fit. If I recall correctly, this song does have a like a real-life basis, but I don't really care to remember it, and I don't think those... You don't care? You don't care? <laughs> oh, you got me. Ah. <laughs> I don't think it's real, like, if if you're not getting that real-life thing across, like, you don't need to even reference it, you know what I mean? Kind of? Are you saying, basically, that he, it's not convincing? It's not. I agree, I agree, totally. He could, I think Kurt Cobain could have had a very nice career path as a singer-songwriter, similar to, like, Emily Elliot Smith, and I think if he gave a shit, he would be a very good singer. There's parts in this song where he has a his like warmer baritone kind of comes out. Yeah, I that's the note that I did say. It's that I will give the song. It has nice harmonizing on it. It really does. There's parts in it where he you can tell he's actually singing. Uh huh. But then he just like starts mumbling again. Somewhere in the middle of this, I wrote down. Do we have to listen to this whole song? Do we have to keep going? It's painful. The lyrics are. I don't. They bother me. <laughs> yeah, bad. Next. Yeah, I 
Territorial Pissings. Uh, wait, I'm okay, I can't... Joe, you're gonna have to tell people what this song is. Because I don't even want to say it. The title offends me. Territorial Pissings? Yes. <laughs> I'm okay, I don't need to... Mm. I'm just offended by it. And also, I'm not, okay, I'm offended by this song. It starts with the title, and it just continues. He says, Cultures weren't opinions. He, when I was an alien, cultures weren't opinions. As someone with an anthropology background, I can tell you, cultures still are not opinions. They are real things. Out in the world. And I was just like, no, no, no. But it does contain the best line of the whole album. Never been a wise man. If so, it's a woman. Yes. You're right. You Bang. are right. Thank you for putting one piece of lyric that made sense on your album. I guess that's his feminist background. You check off that box, doing the include one line about it, and move on. Sure. I hate this song. Oh yeah? Why? His voice sucks. Oh yeah. His lyrics are bad. Mm-hmm. That's it. So I think at this <laughs> point, halfway through the album, we can uh, reasonably conclude that we are not Nirvana fans. I wouldn't consider myself a Nirvana fan. I don't mind some of their songs, but they're not on this album. Oh, okay. So you like, what, later songs, earlier songs? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Both. There's a lot of good B-sides on this album that I'm that I don't mind. Like I like this song they have called Sappy and it's short, sweet, poppy. It's great. I like poppy. Why well, wasn't it on the album? Uh cuz we had to we had to have territorial pissings in the Ugh, hidden track. Gross. All right. I have nothing further to say about this. Next song? I only have one note about this song. I thought that it was a very strange song about a fetus. You might be right. The chorus grosses me out. Oh, they're yeah. Like it's nasty. Eating meat and passing it back and forth. So, and it's about his ex-girlfriend. Was his ex-girlfriend a baby bird? I cannot confirm or deny that. I only know that her name was Toby with an I. Toby. Well, she sounds fun. I think this song is filler. I've heard the song earlier on the album, and it was done better. At 1.45, we get into a pretty noisy section that doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the song, but I've I've heard it before. Sonic Youth, like, that's their whole aesthetic. What? Is, is that sound, like mm -hmm. the really pounding drums, pounding rhythm section, and the really atonal guitar. It's... It's a Sonic Youth... Well, I'm sure Kurt Cobain thought it was a tribute, but the line between tribute and ripoff is very, very thin. <laughs> and it and it's fine for what it is, but it doesn't fit the song at all. Why include it? it? You could cut that section out, and the song would be shorter and better. I think he really missed a good opportunity here. I, I think the song is ostensibly about relationships that really... I mean, the, the lyric like the title says, just drain you about toxic relationships and about codependency. And I, th I think there's a lot of things he could have said here. Uh, and instead he's talking about like chewing up meat and passing it, like baby bird kind of stuff and like gross fetus stuff. And I didn't know this was a kink shame podcast. Wow. No, let's cut that. I don't know. <laughs> Next song. I don't even know how to respond <laughs> Next song. Okay. Okay, so this song was Lounge Act. I've heard this album upwards of 50 times in really? my lifetime. Really? Yeah. 
Why? I'm an alternative fan. I've just listened to it. It's been... I've heard it at friends' houses. I've well, just how would you willingly it. listen to this song? It wasn't always willingly. But it is a very... Like, it's a huge cultural <laughs> artifact. Like, I've, I've listened to it before. I've heard it a lot. Let's put it that way. I can never remember what this song sounds like. It's so throwaway, and I don't... Uh, it has a cool... It ha Well, I guess it has a more complicated bass line than most of the songs in this album, but I don't find anything memorable here. I felt that it was the most upbeat song so far on the album, which was nice. Lithium? No, Lounge Act. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. It really it wasn't so bad until he started screaming at people around a minute and a half in, and I was done. I find that part very unnecessary. I Yes. I'm... Screaming is always unnecessary. <laughs> See, I don't mind screaming as much as you do. In fact, some of my favorite music involves a lot of screaming. But it's so out of place in this song. It doesn't need to be there at all. I would agree with that. That's why I said it wasn't bad until. Next song. So this one is Stay Away. It's the same song at this point. I can't... They're really... all the same song. <laughs> I can't tell any difference between this song and Lounge Act or Drain You. It's just lazy songwriting. It, it repeats itself. It doesn't really need to exist. This song, I would totally blare the song as I slammed the door in my room when I was 14 years old. Stay away! It's a good montage song. If you're like... Yeah, that's fair. If a teenager's angry. Yeah. But... Rather be dead than cool. How many notebooks was that written on? <laughs> I kind of like that line. Oh, and in case you forgot about how hashtag edgy he is, uh, let's scream about God being gay at the end. So what if God's gay? How are you going to out him or her like that, Kurt Cobain? Like you said earlier, it's provocative. Well, it's trying to be provocative. That's what I'm saying. Hashtag edgy, I haven't mentioned it in a few songs. <laughs> God's gay! It doesn't hold up. It's not... In the 70s, there was Alice Cooper. There are songs by Alice Cooper today that still sound edgy. Like The Ballad of Dwight Fry. I know you've never heard that song. No. It's about a guy in a mental institution, and it's disturbing because towards the end of the song, he's screaming, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here. And it like, I've, I'm physically affected by that song because of how panicky and how provocative it is. It, it elicits emotional response in me. Okay. This makes me sleepy. Really? Yes. I didn't feel that way. It's it's like repetitive noise. It's like white noise at this point. Yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm thinking, like, to me a lot of these songs sound very much alike. And the, like, chorus here, like, stay away, stay away, could very easily be in Come As You Are to me. It'd be like, come as you are, and two minutes later, stay away, stay away. It could be the same song. Like, it's very... I feel like his intonation is the same in all of the songs. The all like the way that the verses work are very much just very similar. There the emphasis lies in the way that he speaks, things like that. There's not a lot of variety on this album, I feel. Yeah, he tends to he tends to write in a way that starts high and goes lower, but it's like at half steps. I think it was Breed where I really started to notice that where it's like doo 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 and he just you mean musically? Yeah, just just he uses the same trick. He's a one-trick pony, really. Mm -hmm. It's not I don't think it's a very good trick. Yeah. 
I think I think Rage Against the Machine is also a one trick pony, but I love Rage Against the Machine for that. What's their trick? Rap and rock, I guess. I don't know. They rap? Rage Against the Machine? I think I've heard one Rage Against the Machine song ever, and I don't know that I can name it. Oh, you live in this house, you've heard a lot of Rage Against the Machine. I thought I didn't know it. <laughs> all their songs, the point is, uh, Rage Against the Machine songs, all their songs sound fairly similar, but they're awesome. To you. I'm sure there are people who, every Nirvana song, it's like they like what Nirvana does. It's awesome to them. That's fine, those people are wrong, but you know. Okay. Alright. Next one. Let's move on to... On a plane. Okay, so this is exactly what I was talking about. Like, da na na, na na na. That's the same that he has in half his songs. It's the exact same thing. That being said, I like this song. Really? Yes. It could be because it's been four or five songs since I've heard anything redeeming, but this is one where the band all seems to be on the same page. It's a nice driving rock song without any of the wankery bullshit that they tend to fall into. And even the, I think the, even the bridge in the song has a purpose. Everything click, like this is Nirvana as a band clicking for the first time in a long time on this album. I'm a very lyric driven person and I remember almost nothing about the music in this song. So I don't feel that I can agree with you on that. I spent a lot of my time contemplating why it was called On a Plane, like P-L-A-I-N. spelled plane like the Great Plains, not like an airplane or the plane of existence. And could also, I guess, be plain as an ordinary. And then somewhere along the lines, he says, what the hell am I trying to say? I don't know. You tell me, Kurt Cobain, because I don't know. I think you read the song correctly. I think your response to it is valid, but I think that's what the song is about. I think it's about songwriter's block, because the song starts, start this off without any words. So it sounds like he wrote it okay, in five see, minutes. I can see so. that. I also think he was high. I would, I think so too. I, I don't know. Kurt Cobain wasn't exactly famous for being sober. <laughs> So, you're probably correct, but it sounds it sounds effortless to me. This is one of the songs on the album where it sounds hmm. like he wasn't taking it so seriously that he just made a good, like, he created a good song out of nothing. I don't know. How can you like songs that don't talk about mulattoes? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. That was their big hit, though, wasn't it? Or albinos. But they're not even, I can't even deal Libidos. with this song. I can't, I can't. I've been on rhinezone.com before. Oh my god. It's so painful. It's still haunting me. Next song? Sure. So this song is Something in the Way, and I don't think I knew before I listened to this that the song actually has verses. I only heard the chorus over and over. This one's nice. It's a nice slice of mopey rock. And Mopey I rock. reaffirms what I was saying earlier, which I, I think he had... There's an alternative al, bleh, alternative universe that exists where Kurt Cobain was a successful singer-songwriter instead of in a band. You mean as an individual? Yes. I think this is... In terms of songwriting, this is head and shoulders above the rest of the album, even though it's two chords the whole way through. It captures a general mood that I think is lacking in the rest of the album. It definitely does have a mood, I'll give you that. The cello in it adds a There's whole... It's a cello? Yeah. Hmm. The cello in it is nice. It's a nice touch. 
The lyrics are fine, serviceable. I like that line, it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. Really? Yeah. Do you? I do. Why? I do. do you agree with that line? How do you know fish don't have feelings? I just got really mad when I heard that. <laughs> I think he's being sarcastic. I think this song is about a lot of... I think it's a reflection of American society in general. I know, oh, the songs don't mean anything. I'm too cool. To... Whatever. I think he had a clear intent in this song to kind of shine, to place a mirror on society. Because if you take this song as a whole, it doesn't make much sense. But if you read it line by line... He attacks a lot of things. Like what? I just blanked out. <laughs> he, he's not even memorable. I think the song approaches themes of homelessness, drug addiction, the meat industry. Let me see the lyrics you're looking at. Are they the same lyrics that I read? Okay, yeah, definitely homelessness. He just repeats the same stuff over and over. I don't know how you get all of that from one... Okay, he's living under a bridge. The animals that he's trying to eat to survive on and become his pets are the only friends that he has. He's eating the grass that's there. Or possibly it's drugs, like weed grass. And the water that he's drinking is the stuff that's dripping from the bridge, which is his ceiling. And then he, he talks about fish. Like, I don't, I don't, I think that if you are getting things that are deep out of this, you're alone in this house. <laughs> Maybe so, but I, I think the song is... if Reading it, take that first... Well, I guess it's the first and the second verse. Imagine it as a poem, a very short poem. Underneath the bridge, the tarp sprung a leak, and all the animals I've trapped have now become my pets. I'm living off of grass and the drippings of the ceiling. It's okay to eat fish, because they don't have any feelings. Elementary rhyme scheme, sure, but if you take it as a written piece, I think it. I think you would think it's a lot deeper. I... I just, I don't. I just don't. And then he says there's something in the way. There's something in the way, there's something in the way. I think that something is vague on purpose because he doesn't know how to fix any of these problems that he sees in the verses. Okay. But he can't, he doesn't really have the answers. And I think that's when, when he's just humming after that, that's mm -hmm. where he just admits, he's like, there's something he in the way. Do you consider that humming? I don't know what... I think it's our guttural moaning. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. Yeah, you're being too nice. <laughs> but as as far as, uh, like I said, I think this is head and shoulders above the rest of the album as far as songwriting goes. Well, we're all entitled to our opinion. I guess we can go ahead and sink right into the last, well, the hidden track. Hidden maybe. track. Listen, I miss hidden tracks. They don't too. happen very much anymore. Hidden tracks and enhanced CDs. Those are true relics of the 90s that have stopped existing. Do you ever have an enhanced CD? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Backstreet Boys one? Like, put it in your computer and it came to life? Uh, yes. Before CD-ROMs were a thing, really? That was the first CD I ever had was the Backstreet Boys. Really? Yes. Mine was Ricky Martin. I saw it in a catalog and somebody asked me, what CD that I wanted, and they were all contemporary albums. So I picked the one that I recognized the name of the most. <laughs> it was and, the Backstreet Boys? And it was the Backstreet Boys. Aww.
Well, so, um, with the first time that I listened to this album, for some reason my Spotify was on shuffle, which is weird because it's never on shuffle, and I thought this was track number two, <laughs> and I almost did not complete this podcast. <laughs> I was That's... like, check out, no way, you can do this one solo, not happening. <laughs> if this was track number two, and it was a number one album... That would be incredible. Well, it reinforced my previous worldview that Nirvana sucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, okay, so about I have a note here that uh, it's a. I lasted till about one minute and eleven seconds before I said I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I you you watched me listen to this again as like in the full thing at the end of this album, and I I really thought I was going to throw up. I'm not kidding. You were, you, your head was in your hands. <laughs> I like this better than most of the album. What? What? Uh, this is, you know, the whole thing, the, all the gripes we have this album, it doesn't sound like Nirvana gives a shit about That's fair. a lot. Yeah. This, had, this did sound like a different band, or I, a, like a different album, or... I think their whole aesthetic of not giving a shit is a way for them to escape criticism when somebody is like, well, you know, you can't really write a song, Kurt. He's like, I don't really care. Uh, you got any heroin? <laughs> but they are better at making noise than they are at writing songs. Well, stick to what you're good at. Why do you gotta put lyrics in this mess? It's too long. It's seven minutes of them making noise. But they're really good at it. Like, they got those really, like, pounding drums. So when we, when we, hold on, when we listened to the, you just said seven minutes. When we listened to this again, and you kept telling me how much more time we had to go in this song, that was so awful. Because I was like, okay, I can, I can survive. I can suffer through this. And you'd be like, four more minutes. And I was like, no, God, why? Dear God, why? But their, their whole, I think this song sums up their whole, like, the aesthetic they're trying to portray at least, because I really don't think... This is a hidden track. Well, okay, so, but did you read about that? It's not, it's not. It was supposed to be the last track, but the person they had who mixed it, um, nobody showed up for the mixing appointment, so he, like, mixed it all himself, and they pressed the CD and everything and sent it out, and only when the band got it and started listening to it did they realize the last track wasn't on it. So they stopped production, and so the first, there are, there are copies of this album that are out there, the first, I think, 40,000 copies don't have this track on it. So the way they fixed it was actually adding some dead space and then inserting the song on the, on the uh, pressings pressing. that were after that. Yeah, so it wasn't supposed to be a hidden track, it was supposed to be the actual last track. Well, that's dumb. Well, yeah. Because It's better as a hidden track. I think it's better as a hidden track. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Something in the way is a great closer. It, yeah, it for takes sure. it takes all the all the negative energy that's kind of pervasive in this album and then just distills it into a simple acoustic song and even though it's like a it's not quite a mood whiplash but it kind of is because everything's loud and noisy and then it's just soft soft and pretty and there's a cello and okay so the only good thing that I can say about this song is that it ends the album by like having an echo that fades out I thought that was cool. Yeah. I just... I, I I don't have anything else to say about this, so we can just... Okay. Well, let's say <laughs> that on that, then. Okay, uh, so, Joe, do you want to talk about the critical reception of this album? Yeah. It's strange to talk about the critical reception 
for this album because it's such a massive piece of cultural importance. Like we were just saying, it, it really kicked off the beginning of the 90s as, as a culture, as a force. You know, you had Michael Jackson, and then there was Nirvana. And then there's the Spice Girls, and that's all that matters. Yeah, well, did we get to them? I don't remember. We have to. They're 97. Yeah. I just don't know if they hit number one. I think one of them did. I'm going to flip this table if they didn't hit number one. But this album was so important that it was added to the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry, which collects the most important cultural artifacts of the 20th century. So what else? Like, what else is in there? I Have a Dream Speech. Okay, so sound snippets and stuff, too. Take me out to the ball game. I think there's any vines in there. There may be someday. I don't think right now. There's... <laughs> well, so what's the what's the time period that they wait before collecting things? This was added in two thousand five. So f- roughly fifteen years after it came out. I don't know that much about it. I know they add things to it. I don't know if there's like a time limit or they just add it. Okay. I think they wait long enough where it's not like a knee jerk reaction. Right. Like the blue and gold dress thing. Yeah. Which people thought was such a cultural phenomenon and no one remembers anymore. I remember. (laughs) Okay. It was gold. Uh, no. But, you know, the Library of Congress has their opinion and then more importantly we have our own. What did you think about this album? Oh, it sucked. (laughs) That's it? Yeah, I... Did you want more than that? Um... No, I don't think it's very good either. I uh, would not listen to it again. If you paid me a lot of money, I might. I would say there were songs on it. I don't think I'm a better person for having heard this album. I do not think that I am. I would say I'm unchanged from who I was a week ago before hearing this album. Uh, maybe a little more knowledgeable about the things that everyone else talks about. Would knowledge make you a better person, though? Generally, I would agree with you in all circumstances. <laughs> but not with Nirvana? <laughs> but not with Nirvana. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel enriched whatsoever by having heard this. Like, it reinforced what I felt that Nirvana was. Yes, that's true, it is. And uh, I will say they had a little more nuance than I expected them to have. Uh, there were some songs that weren't quite as bad as the other songs. And I expected them all to be level 5 bad. <laughs> like just thought I was scooping the bottom of the barrel on all of them, but instead there was just a little bit of grain left at the bottom of the barrel that I didn't get on three or four of them. Well, I mean, so, Puddle, Puddle of Mud built a career out of making the uh, level five bad Nirvana do songs. Do I like Puddle of Mud? No. Do you like them better than Nirvana? I can hate them, if you will. Um, oh, I get it. Oh, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a minute. <laughs> I would say that this album, I'm trying to think of something witty, a way to put this, it smells like, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. (laughs) That's a joke that really never gets old. Okay, so. It probably does. On, okay, what I want you to rate this is on, of how many I don't cares. You know what I should have said? What? That's a joke that never gets old. Kind of like Kurt Cobain. Oh, no, no, no! No! On a level of one to suicide jokes, how bad is this album? Two out of five. No, it's suicide jokes. That's how bad it is. Oh. Uh, 
So I'm going the opposite way? Do you think it's good? No, no. I'm so confused. Let's not do that. Just like I was the whole album. <laughs> do you understand why this album's such a big deal? Yeah, I get the... I wouldn't say that nothing existed before it like this, but I would agree that nothing had ever hit the top charts and was really mainstream across America like this. There are probably people in small towns who had never heard anything like this, but, but they were coming from a scene that existed in Seattle. They didn't come out of nowhere with this sound. They evolved on a sound that was extant. And I... I think that gets overlooked. People are like, oh, Nirvana changed the scene. No, they didn't. They came from the scene. They just made it bigger. Maybe because of talent. Maybe because of luck. Who knows? But, and they definitely made it more widespread. I get, I get why the album was significant to the 90s. I don't understand why people like that, but that is a personal preference. I think people take the cultural significance over their own opinion sometimes with this. I don't think people enjoy it as much as they think they do. I would, okay, okay, yeah. Because it's, you know, there's like, you have to like, it's things like Nirvana, The Beatles, Fight Club, where people, if you say you don't like these things, people look at you very strangely. Like, they, they look at you like you have no taste. They don't grasp not liking it, which is strange because, well, I guess it's not very strange, it's just kind of human psychology. But, for example, Pitchfork named Nevermind as the fifth or sixth best album of the 1990s, the whole decade. Really? Yeah. Not that Pitchfork means much, but in their blurb, they wrote, Anyone who hates this record today is just trying to be cool and needs to be trying harder. What? Yeah, they're... they're whatever. Okay, so, but do you think that they're making a point that anyone who hates this record... Is trying to make a point because most people are ambivalent about this record because it meant nothing and said nothing. I don't know. You seem pretty close to hating this record. Well, I hate this kind of music. And this is a record from this kind of music. I don't... I do not like it. Well, apparently you need I to say, be... did it did it scrape the bottom of the barrel? Not at all times. <laughs> not at all times. It just got... It just kind of bobbed up and down. Right. It's like when you're like me, you're five foot three and you're in the five foot... Swimming pool. Sometimes you can touch the bottom, but most of the time you can't. But it's vice versa for this one. Like, usually they're on the bottom. So I guess it would be like me in a four-foot swimming pool, where it's like, I, I can stand on the bottom, but then I can't breathe. So I'm going to try to stand on the bottom for a long time, but every once in a while I'll pop back up. That's fair. That's, that's my analogy for it. Hey, it works. I've heard this enough. I, I don't remember Lounge Act... Or stay away, even now as I'm thinking about it. Like, I've already forgotten how those songs sound like. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. I really cannot remember what they sound like. Stay away, stay away, stay away. I don't want to remember how they sound like. Okay, I don't think. that's better. I don't particularly care for this album. There, If I could take my ten favorite Nirvana songs and put them on a mix CD, I could probably listen to that. I have no reason to listen to Nevermind anymore. Their first record I like, their next record I actually like, this one, take it or leave it. I don't need to hear it again, ever. <laughs> Does their next album reach number one in the 90s? Are we going to hear it? Yes. <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> okay. It's much better, I promise. Uh, okay, well, we'll revisit that in a few years, I guess. Months for us, but yeah. years chronologically. I would give the... What do we give Michael Jackson? Two, two and a half out of five? We used... Woohoo! 
Who's on Michael Jackson's? I asked you on a level of one to suicide jokes. I don't know what that means. Suicide jokes are very bad. We've talked about that several times tonight. But if it if it's one to a level of suicide jokes, it doesn't really get like one is the worst. Oh my god. Okay, then on a level of suicide jokes to five, where do you rate this album? Two, two and a half, somewhere between there. I'm gonna rate it as a half-ass suicide joke. Maybe a one point five on a traditional scale. It's not quite a one. I'm mean, reserving that for something that's truly god awful. Oh, I'm sure we'll get there. Oh no! What's ahead of us? We have. 10 years. I'm sure we'll find something worse than this album. Okay. <laughs> mm so I give it a 2. 1.5. You 1.5. So now comes the fun part of the part of podcast where we get to pick a track that we keep, the best track on the album, and then we get to pick a track where we delete it forever. I call it my ditch track. Ditch track. Delete. So what would be your keep track? We're not going to agree on this because... I'm kind of torn between either In Bloom or Stay Away, and you really don't like Stay Away. I'm okay with In Bloom. If we have... I would pick something in the way, personally. No, not me. But I am totally... I think she should have packaged up something something in the way, sent it to... Who are those people? Mexico? No, no, no. I like them. The Under the Bridge people. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think he should have sent it to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and let them fucking make a masterpiece out of it. Then it would have been an excellent song. They started with actually Under the Bridge, but I think they could have, it could have been a good collaboration. That was a year before, too. What? Under the Bridge. That was 1991. Shut up. Yeah. So I'm not going to get to hear the Chili Peppers? You will, we'll get to hear Californication. Okay. But I am totally fine with Keeping in Bloom. Uh, I think it's one of the stronger tracks on the album, even though I like about 90 seconds of it. That's more than I can say for most of this. If you're not going to pick something in the way... Or on a plane. And you're not going to pick Stay Away. No. Then I guess we're at In Bloom. Alright. So In Bloom will be added to our keepers. Now, the track that you can delete forever. I think we're actually both going to agree on this one. Say it at the same time. One, two, three. Endless, Nameless. What? Territorial Pissings. No! Endless, Nameless. I almost threw up on that track. <clears throat> you can't delete Endless, Nameless because it's a hidden track. Though. No. Yes, you can because it wasn't supposed to be hidden. And it's listed on A to Z lyrics as a separate track. And also on Spotify. It's not just at the end of that song. Like, it's a separate track. You could download that individually on Apple Music, I'm probably pretty sure. Yeah. I just figured since it was a hidden track, it nope. didn't really count. If it was an actual hidden track, it wouldn't be listed. It would just be at the end of a song, you know what I mean? But it is. Mm, but it's not. It's um, the music, the mediums that we are listening to music in this day and age as we're recording this podcast is a separate track. We just skip next to get to it. Therefore, I just only get the leave off. Okay. Um. So now you get to tell me that you are sorry and I'm right. So now you can tell me that I'm right and you're sorry. I'm mm. not going to do that. Ah. <laughs> you don't want to know why? Why? Because I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Oh, I don't care. thanks for joining us, folks. See you next time. Well, we are going to hit up Garth Brooks, Roping the Wind.